Hello friends! This is People Are Interesting with Jan K. In each episode of this show, unique individuals share stories that take us on a ride across ideas and places. Featuring crocodile attacks in Indonesia, escaping war-torn Lebanon, and shark protection schemes in Mauritania. This podcast takes you where you've never been before. Enjoy and thank you for joining the club. Today with me is Jacob, my dear friend, born and bred in Venezuela. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So we are going to talk a little bit about, we're just going to try to get a little bit into the soul of Latin America and understand what's going on there or what has been going on there in the last few years. What's your earliest memory of your home country? Um, wow, my earliest memory, I think, um, and it's probably very topical for how the weather has been in, in London, but basically the sun growing up in, at the beach and yeah, I think those are probably my, my earliest memories being at the beach, um, um, being outdoors, enjoying, well, I mean, we went swimming today, so I think that's where my love for, for doing things outdoor, like water and things that are related to nature. Yeah, it's what, a lot of beautiful nature. What's the what what part of the country did you grow up in? Um, so it's a city called Maracay, which is um, north. But I mean, most cities are in the north, but this one is kind of center north and. Um, I mean, roughly used to be like nine, nine, no, I'm actually exaggerating. It was like a million people, a million people. Um, and it's not too far from Caracas. It's like an hour away. Okay. So it's like a big, it's a sort of mid-sized city. Um, yeah, north. Just to get an idea, what size is the capital of Venezuela, Caracas? Um, I think from what I last remember, compared to a lot of Latin American cities, it's not that big, but uh, probably something around 9 million. Okay, that's huge. That's the size of London. Yeah. Roughly. The metropolitan area of Caracas, I think certainly. Hmm, I will have to check, but uh, yeah. <laughs> that's what I remember. And you've already mentioned that most of the cities and population is centered in the north of the country is that is that because of the jungle uh it's kind of like down rainforest i mean like no i think it's well it's because it's the caribbean and it's the coast so it's pretty much all of our coast is on the north yeah so you know usually cities are built around water yeah. and we do have a big river like um the orinoco river yeah and you have like maybe one city down there but that's like big mining towns and and then you have the amazon the amazon estate which yeah i mean that's where you do you have you have most of the rainforest okay and it's less populated as well um but yeah i would say it's probably because it's a caribbean sea makes sense yeah so you remember it's warm you remember the beach what's the interactions with people when you were growing up there what's the 
what are what are Venezuelans like when you compare it to other countries and societies in those countries that you've visited? Well, like the weather, warm. <laughs> um, yeah, people are very. I mean, we used to, you know, they do this happiness uh, index. Yeah, uh, and apparently Finland, it's for like fifth year consecutive, has won the uh, happiest country in the world mm-hmm. in this year. Um, Venezuela was in that index even until recently. Um, despite the dictatorship, people were quite were considered to be very happy, and it's an interesting idea, right? Because like, how do they measure the happiness? Um, but yeah, people are very jolly and very very outgoing musical we're very musical people mm-hmm. um, yeah I think that's pretty much how we would describe and in terms of family and friends are people tend to the families tend to stick together so you know like grandmas aunts this whole kind of network do you mean do you mean as in like the family is important yes yeah we're collective yeah we're quite collective and I think that's a big difference between how I grew up and how people live in in the UK. I mean, I've lived in Oxford and and London. Obviously, London is a massive city, so it's a lot more individualistic. But I feel like here, people are a lot more nuclear Mm -hmm. and even just more individualistic. Yeah. So yeah, I would definitely say we're much more collective. Family is an important thing. Um, there are big families, um, big events all the time. Like families, uh, your grandma, like your, your aunt, very important. Like people put family first. Um, yeah, I think so. That's really nice. And in terms of relationships with other countries, Venezuela doesn't have any particular special relationships with other countries. So, for example, let's say maybe America would have special relationship with Canada because they're neighbors, they're culturally quite similar, um, yeah. or with the UK. Is, is there anything like that with Venezuela and, and other countries? I would say Colombia. Um, we were a country before we... So it's interesting because we got independence. We fought for independence and we got it from, you know, from a Spanish monarchy. Um, and we were one territory then. Yeah. Um, and this was like La Gran Colombia. So the great Colombia included Venezuela, Colombia, Panama, Peru... Mm, and I always forget some there's like different stages of it, but it includes those main countries. Um, Ecuador, sorry, I forgot Ecuador. Was it Ecuador? Yeah, Ecuador was part of it. I'll have to fact check this, but <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, it was a, the Great Colombia, and that was eighteen ten, eighteen eleven, mm-hmm. and we separated. I think eighteen twenty. So good decade of being uh, one territory, but I think it was a sort of negotiate, you know, you kind of join forces and, and how you organize politically before you get the independence from mm. monarchy. So I feel like after that, it was more clear, sort of a territorial, like who rules where. Was it amicable? 
separation from you know from a little this is where I always feel embarrassed that I, I just need to keep reading history because obviously studying here I've missed out on a lot of but um, I think yeah it was from what I remember Santander which is he was a Colombian leader um, and Bolivar just had disagreements and and to be honest even within Venezuela the Venezuela territory that is now Venezuela you still had like strong leadership and you had a sort of situation typical um, similar to um, um, what's his name in, in Italy oh, it's not coming to my head now what did he do uh, Berlusconi no. <laughs> no no I'm talking about like the formation of Italy like the unification of Italy a oh, long time ago okay what's his name I know Garibaldi. Garibaldi, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Oh, there we go. We got we got there. <laughs> Garibaldi. I feel like there was a situation. I mean, this is me be- being very revisionist and and putting my own opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Um, with a uh, a guy called Paez in in Venezuela, and he was in the south. Um, and he was a very strong leader, and he him and and Bolivar also had disagreements, but you know that state that he or that area that he was the leader of yeah still part of venezuela um but yeah anyway santander and bolivar were the two leaders uh and it was also bolivar's dream like a sort of simon bolivar wanted um simon bolivar was what people consider to be the liberator of venezuela Um, yeah he was the uh, you know strong leader then had the connections he came from you know wealthy spanish uh he's a wealthy spanish offspring what we would consider to be um you know venezuelans of spanish descent yeah and they had like a sort of nobility um in terms of like class yeah um well like venezuelan born spanish people basically yeah. um is it still a thing no, I mean obviously you do have the sort of social class and like racism that God kind of stems from that. Really? So yeah. if you were to, if you were to kind of, how is society kind of s- s- dissected, so to say? How does it divide itself? You know, let's say here in the UK you very much can tell someone by their accent or what school they went to mm. potentially even the 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 part of the neighborhood they live in mm-hmm. or, or even more so in the u.s yeah. things like that yeah. is what are the the kind Point of things is, like yeah, that like yeah factors. in venezuela if, if there are any at all yeah no there there are many i mean accent is obviously and i think that's glo- probably global it probably happens in every language um, accent and then there's also the sort of urban versus rural mm-hmm. division um, Latin American countries definitely suffered a lot from the um, attempt at industrializing because we sort of in the international scheme we were all always sort of agro exporting countries um, and when agriculture wasn't, you know, 
good enough and we had manu- the development of like manufacturing centers in big cities and people had to mass emig- uh, mass migrate from the countryside to the cities um, yeah like that's that created a lot of tension a lot of tensions I yeah. see and it probably demarcated it even further um, but yeah what are the factors yeah accent is number one I would say um, in terms of neighborhoods and things like that like when I compare it to the UK mm-hmm. I feel like here is less well maybe maybe it's just because I haven't really created a family here I guess yeah. so I don't know about these things but I always hear the whole thing about did you did your is your kid in state school or public school or like what they call public school public school but it's private school yeah um that happens in latin america and venezuela it does happen public school is obviously low quality because it hasn't you know been invested in and and then private school you know tends to be whoever can afford it so in terms of like education there are some similarities there but i feel like it's not as political as it is here yeah in terms of like schooling because mm. i i hear stories of parents or, or neighbors falling out just when one neighbor fa- finds out that the 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 kid of the, the other neighbors goes to public school like i.e they're wealthy or like putting yeah and it's uh, i just find that very fascinating but also just a bit in Latin America, for us, it's like even people that can't afford it just try to work towards that. Mm-hmm. They try to earn enough money so they can put people through private school. Yeah. Some some can't obviously. So a lot of some people can't do that. Um, they have no choice. Some people really really like the last last penny they have. They just spend it because they know that the education is going to be dramatically better. Mm-hmm. Here, I guess it's less of an argument to to go private because public school is mm. good it's like good, a good quality I imagine some schools are better than others in terms of neighbourhood um, but I think generally the public school system here is good so there's less of an argument whereas in Latin America or Venezuela it's not it's not the case um, neighbourhoods yeah but you also get a mixture you can get those pictures that you sometimes you see on social media, which apply, by the way, like Latin America is a massive region, but there's a lot of things that happen in every country, even though we're not the same and we have different cultures and different, um, you know, every day. But you see those pictures of, you know, a big highway going through Caracas or going through Sao Paulo or going through Mexico City. And it's the same story. You have a massive highway and then one side of the highway you have uh, shanty towns or like slums and then the other side you have like these massive skyscrapers or big houses with pools and things like that so we do have a lot of that segregation but we also get the in-between um, recently somebody was telling me, oh like you know London is an amazing place because you get sort of working class um, estate um, front right in front of a new build and things like this and I'm like I don't think that's necessarily integration <laughs> and I don't think it's like an ideal the ideal should be that nobody that everyone lives in that sort of normal conditions and more egalitarian but that's a different story <laughs> yeah that is a different story what are 
the national holidays in Venezuela? What what are the big things that you celebrate? Well, carnival. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, you don't celebrate carnival. No, we do. We do. It's a big, but I'm only saying it because um, uh, it was it's February usually, so it's around this time of year that people celebrate carnival. Oh, really? Yeah, um, and it's yeah big parties, piss ups, and <laughs> and people go to the beach um, a lot. Um, yeah, it's just a party, really. Just is it kind of like in Rio where you have a parade in the city, or uh, what's um, the? I think this is where I know. No, it's not in the same. Well, you know, it's also probably real. Create a whole industry of their carnival. Yeah. So they're good at that. They're good at marketing mm -hmm. their their cities and their culture. Um, mm, you wouldn't have parades per se. I think it, it probably at the sort of very local level, maybe. I don't know, but it's not like we have all the big. Do you have anything like an Independence Day or something like that? Yeah, we we don't really. I mean, we have those days in terms of days off, but people do not celebrate. You know, like in the US, they celebrate the fifth uh, of July. What is the fourth? Fourth of July, I think it is. Yeah, I think you're right. Fifth of July is actually in Mexico. Oh really? Yeah. Oh nice. Um. And no, in terms of holidays, people are big on um, Easter, again. We call it Semana Santa, mm -hmm. so the Holy, Holy Week. Holy, Holy week. week, okay. Um, but you know, it's a lot of people who are very religious and Catholic. They they do the whole thing. You know, they're not eating meat. They eat fish, and um, but generally, like people just use those days just to go to the beach and go away and you know celebrate and really even though <laughs> it's not about that right like easter is not about that but they get together they get with their families yeah um other holidays mm, i'm probably missing like a very obvious one i feel like i am but yeah no it's not like, it's not like here or like in france for instance they celebrate uh bastille day mm -hmm. we don't have that okay no I, it's just those kind of like warm-up questions I want to get a feeling for that place before we get to more current events what was what was people's economic and so social and like political situation when you were growing up before before kind of things imploded there what was it like for normal people because I, I, I can imagine that people who are well-to-do they do quite well everywhere but what were the average people doing in Venezuela? How how were they? Um, I mean, I first have to begin by saying I don't think. I mean, I have to admit, me my my life was not average. Um, I've been very privileged, but because I come from very different families, different histories, I have seen like the spectrum. Yeah. And you know the people that I've shared and I've grown up with have always been from very very different background so but you know my actual life and my conditions and things haven't been those um a lot of times but um i would say things from from what i can remember and from my parents and 
things were just normal, you know, like what, what, what you would consider in a democratic country. Um, people could work in different industries, they could advance um, the, the career progressions, they had opportunities. People didn't think of migrating, like living, like moving away from Venezuela was, you know, something that people would do for a couple of years. Um, whoever could do that, but, you know, there were a lot of opportunities, public universities. Oh, I didn't mention this, but like a school system in terms of like school level is what I said earlier, but universities, public universities are the best ones in Venezuela, which is like sort of a flip coin. Yeah. That's when you do get this sort of leveling out of social inequality in some aspects because people do get opportunities. And this comes from, you know, just simply the creation of public universities throughout the, the, the 20th century uh, and investment in those universities. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of that. That's sort of the test, the testament to our there was a democratic culture in the country. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know, Venezuelan people are also very, I think, very cultured, mm-hmm. um, regardless of, well, at least that's how I, I can remember it, you know, and also the people I always got exposed to in every social occasion. And so I think it was a very, res- is a resourceful country, and that's why it probably is very attractive to criminals and, and, and maybe that's why it's in the situation that it is today. Um, but yeah. What what happened then? Because it's, it's not the same place that it used to be 10 years ago or 15 years ago. What, what happened there since, since the picture you've just described? Well, I think the picture I was just describing is even, even, it's like, yeah, probably yeah 15 years ago but that's already within the period of when things started to get um, worse um some people and this is where it gets sort of partisan and people attribute the the start of chavez government um as like the big you know big moment and that's the, the big evil that created all evils in venezuela but it's not true um he definitely was the start of the massive decline because he was opportunistic, populist, demagogue, whatever you want to call it. Um, he had the, we had a massive, you had the commodities boom, You like probably what in the turn of the 2000, was it 2000 and around 2004, 2005? Hmm. But yeah, like 2000s, right? Mm-hmm. You had the commodities boom and we had obviously we are a massive oil country or we used to be and even production we have we have massive refineries and things so we had the commodities boom there was a lot of capital flowing in venezuela a lot and this was during chavez um so it was tons and tons of money could you could you kind of perceive it on the street and like Mm, that's where no no like the, the the thing is Venezuela has been a wealthy country because of oil but with Chavez the thing is has it, it become a, a wealthy country compared to let's say other countries in Latin America because of oil like yeah. was was Venezuela yeah. much better off than let's say their neighbors or yeah because of oil yeah yeah because okay. we we were top you know we have the highest reserves in the world which that's not you know, that's not man-made. That's just simply the 
yeah. the soil. But we also were at some points in in recent history the top producing country. We're not a product. We're we're consumer, but we're not a product um, producer anymore. Uh, producing country because uh, decade now at least two decades of poor investment from Chavez's government. So what did he use that money for? We had the highest price for per barrel during his time because of a commodities bull, and where did that money go you know like he you have studies and like there's some scholarship now about this and what he did is what a populist would do and it's just spend the money in yeah social programs a lot of them but it's a sort of short-term reward social programs um you know very flashy type of like marketing type of programs that he never actually fulfilled as he said he would you know he he created this one called Mission Vivienda like um, housing mission mm -hmm. where he was meant to build like I would just throw a random number like 200,000 uh, homes by for the next two years whatever mm -hmm. and these were all, all gonna be you know state houses but then people would have a a house with like dignity and this is this was the whole promise and i think even years after the the, the supposed deadline it was only built for like 10 percent mm -hmm. um all of the projects that he ever you know there was like this massive railway project that now you still next to the the um the highway one of the main highways you see the the bottom of like because he was gonna build it on top as well on the in the air he did, was not gonna build a railway as most countries with railways do which is on the ground mm -hmm. so it was big money laundering infrastructure projects I can't think of a single infrastructure project that he actually completed um, but yeah anyway he spent the cash but also he pocketed the cash and all of his entourage pocketed the cash mm -hmm. and you know massive corruption and it's not that Venezuela didn't know corruption before him but it just became blatant corruption and one of the most disgusting um, sort of power grabs because because of simply the way that he got there as well um, uh, it's a lot it's a lot to unpack in terms of how what the Chavez phenomenon um, you know how do you get populists to gain power and and he was basically yeah that, that's an opportunistic power grabbing um, power hungry kind of man megalomaniac and, mm -hmm. um, so we saw that I mean that's why the deterioration came all of his promises but no no investment and massive massive uh, virtue signaling whereby his whole policy was that he was a socialist um, but believed you know in equality and all, and all principles but he never really backed that with evidence mm -hmm. it was all for the show all for the mm -hmm. camera and you know nowadays nowadays we have Eight, above 80% of the population are uh, considered to be in poverty 
Wow. And at the beginning of his government was probably roughly around 15%. Wow. And this is just me with, uh, you know, sort of approximate estimates from what I can remember. Yeah. I mean, certainly poverty levels right now are above 80%. So what... what so there was a lot of corruption under Chavez, right? That he dies, I think. Yeah. Then Maduro comes in. Yeah. And then things really start to unravel. What was going on? Why why this decline happened so quickly and so dramatically? Well, I, what I was explaining, like the commodities boom was probably what allowed Chavez to not invest that much, but still have not kind of disposable cash to spend it on things that seemed like he was doing something. But also you have to think like, it's also the personalistic aspect of uh, populism. He was a great, they had, um, you know, spokesperson. He was charismatic, um, even though he wasn't particularly good looking or any, anything. He just had this charisma, mm-hmm. and he just said what people wanted to hear. You know, and mm-hmm. and one thing, the only thing I do give to Chavez was that sometimes people do not do want to don't want to admit it but he did shy a light shine a light on um social issues you know venezuela as many latin american countries very unequal um despite having opportunities and and problems of racism and history that i was just mentioning earlier and he spoke about these things so he kind of rode the wave of let's talk about our past, let's talk about racial issues and let's talk about all these uncomfortable truths. Um, that's the only thing I give to him. But he used it as an instrument for him to gain popular approval. Yeah. Um, but without actually doing anything to improve their conditions. Um, you do get the off cases where people who aligned and then this is when it gets very political where he started persecuting opposition as soon as he got into power he became he censored top tv channels and radio show radio um stations that were dissident um he attacked what i was gonna say then then i kind of digressed talking about him supposedly spousing these values of of socialism then he started attacking the private sector saying you know greedy and you know there is a lot of that there's a lot of multinational there were a lot of multinationals in venezuela and so you know there's a political aspect to it that you can understand but in terms of the actions that followed you know he attacked the private sector but then he put a um exchange like a sort of currency controls that was one of the first things that he did as well within his i think his first government um, and this was, you know, to control the sort of currency flows in Venezuela and things like that. And uh, he just had a m- massive fuck up in economic policy that to this day, like I, I'm, a, I, I admire the economist, Venezuelan economist, certainly that try to make sense of, of the aftermath of all the things that Chavez did. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's the, um, what was saying? What was I saying? I was in the. <laughs> I came back to the point of the, um, the commodity, not the commodities, the policies, 
what was I saying? I was, I went back and forth. <laughs> no, I, we were talking about Maduro. So what, where we were getting to right now was about to start talking about the humanitarian. Yeah. yeah. The sharp decline. Yes. Well, I mean, so yeah, I guess what I was saying just builds up to that he created the conditions. He was not Maduro. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, Maduro was Maduro still is pretty much a shell of a government. And I think every every decision is not taken by him. You know, he's he doesn't have the credentials. And even though some people like to undermine him because there's there's a lot of things that I'm not even gonna mention. But there's a whole campaign about how he's dumb. You know, he didn't finish school, etc. 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 Typical things that are attacked in terms of leader that is is unfit to rule. Um, what's the background of Chavez and what's the background of Maduro are they like just kind of guys from like a like a like a yard like from countryside yeah yeah what what I'm trying to figure out is what where do they come from and the people who who are in charge of Venezuela at that time because you said they were populists what kind of social background they they came from well, that's uh, that's you know part of the story, right? Like, if you wanted to have a sort of anthropological reason why they are doing what they're doing, because um, you're like, how you know you're hating, you know how you hate your country, or like, yeah, if you want power, but I don't know. There's like many many hypotheticals, but they yeah they're from working class, very very yeah humble backgrounds Chavez was from the southern state um snow that's where a lot of the agriculture and sort of cattle and Mm -hmm. things of that industry come from Mm -hmm. in Venezuela um and Maduro from what well so also this weird stories about his origins people say that he's colombian and it doesn't really matter if he's colombian or not it's uh um but yeah humble backgrounds i mean he was a bus driver actually um and that was really his last profession before becoming a militant um the most recent background for them before getting to power um as a movement as a political power was they're from guerrillas actually so mm, okay yeah so and this is the thing um, it's quite common in latin america by the way isn't it for some sort of mm, military people getting in charge of the government yeah you have militias you have like uh, paramilitary um i mean in the world really you do have them and um Cause common, if you, common is like it's a difficult one because you you for instance in the case of Colombia yeah it is guerrillas, um, but you don't hear those stories that you didn't hear of these stories from Venezuela a yeah. few years ago. We've had the Colombian guerrilla by you know all border and all these rural sites are in the south, especially you know towards the. Literally, just the same region I was talking about because mm-hmm. that's the side of Colombia we were bordered with Colombia, yeah. Um, but they, yeah, they're from guerrillas, they were uh, what they, they what they call themselves revolutionaries, and and this is where it gets very interesting is because Chavez tried to k- 
get into power different times through coup d'etat yeah and he was uh, I think he was like a cadet you know like low low ranking military man yeah and and you know him and a group of you know those that kind of believed in Fidel Castro's ideals decided that you know they needed to do a revolutionary take a revolutionary take on the pa- on power and oh yes because uh, Venezuela has good ties with Col- uh, Cuba and with Russia because of uh, Chavez yeah yeah that's because true. of Chavez not be- not prior to that um, interestingly this is like a sort of interesting historic fact that I couldn't believe it when I when I learned about it was that so first like for clarification he tried to take power in Venezuela twice mm-hmm. and I think some people say three times so twice through a coup d'etat like 1993 I think that almost like the year after that or two years after that 1995 and he well he realized that that didn't work and then he just changed the whole his whole image um, you know suit and tie created a political party and then ran for the election in 1998 and that's how he got to power funny because they're the same decade you know this is the same decade so that's how you know short-sighted we can be when it comes to political leaders um he did become this messianic figure and because we lived in bipartisan or like bipartisan these two powers that were two political parties that were always always in power ever since we had democracy which were uh, one called Cope and the other one called um, Acción Democrática or AD or AD. Um, and these two parties, yeah, were just ruling the country mm-hmm. and people were just fed up. You know, mm-hmm. this corruption scandal in here, in this one, this corruption scandal in this other one. You know, nobody is really paying attention to the country. So, it's certainly not the, the also the social issues that I've just mentioned. Um, yeah going back to cuba um and and this sort of cold war type of alignment um yeah some people trace nicolas maduro's sort of guerrilla making um to sort of castro sympathizing groups um and then the interesting event that i couldn't believe was that for castro himself tried to invade venezuela (laughs) Um, sometime in like nineteen, it was in nineteen seventy four. I have to check. I mean, I don't have my phone, but I will double check because I think it's it's a very. I just couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And he tried to get through the northwest of the country through because we have mountains, like we have a big mountain range dividing the cities and the beach. Okay. Oh, um, just near the coast, relatively. Yeah, yeah, and I just couldn't. I just couldn't believe it. It was crazy, and it was him and like twenty men. It was not even a battalion. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what the point was to topple the government, or I don't even I don't really know what he was doing, but clearly he didn't know. Either. I mean, probably was it Castro? Yeah. So Castro, I would imagine that he wanted to spread the revolution, right? Like a left wing revolution, like a yeah. communist revolution. Yeah, yeah, but it's just interesting. The, yeah, see, that's ballsy very funny because he probably thought that people will just go with him so he will take people who are there yeah look know. i just google or like fa- f- you know 
check um, online mm -hmm. about Fidel Castro invasion Venezuela and there's <laughs> plenty of articles right that I wrote about this but I think it's 1967 1967 okay tried to invade Venezuela in 1967 wow that's a crazy move that's yeah, a crazy May move. 8 two small boats carrying a dozen heavily armed fighters made um, landfall near um get all these ads uh, but yeah anyway so you know interesting piece of history during the Cold War as well yeah. right if you think 1967 was just before uh, Vietnam and um, after the Bay of Pigs so big for me especially for Venezuela's current state you can trace a lot of interesting historic historical moments that you're like wow so this is where it comes from as mm -hmm. well and i feel in venezuela we have been living the cold war even after the cold war certainly with chavez mm -hmm. um and now you know putin was speaking about venezuela right before the ukraine situation exploded so you know are we really is the cold war really over mm. you know? <laughs> um but yeah so what so the situation got really bad in in the country it got essentially i'm trying to figure out what happened that there has been so many refugees from venezuela because that's the headline i grabbed when it was happening what's what's the whole situation with that so yeah i mean i think I, i've been trying to like cover a lot but um because mm. it's hard right to like and especially the way that i think I, I, I'm trying and I try to understand them, you know, why did Chavez and Maduro join a guerrilla? Why did, why do guerrillas exist? And I used to be like, you know, this is political greed and why is Castro, you know, and I absolutely do not sympathize with any of them, but not because of the supposed ideals that they espouse, but because of the reality that, you know, the Castro family are massive land owning. Uh, family in in Cuba, you know, all of the the whole island is owned by them, and so it's more about the opportunistic aspect of these people. But you know, guerrillas existed because uh, guerrillas are just, by definition, are peasant armies. They're just people that are dissatisfied with you know the state that didn't provide for them. So yeah. if you understand that, you understand why maybe Chavez. People will always describe him as a resented resented. Mm -hmm. a human being and that's why he had this fight of like against the rich and against the the elite and against you know political he was a political outsider the situation got bad because of all of these things all of these things the polarization of the country socially the the degradation of everything education health system underinvestment uh, the poor management of of Chavez himself, the currency controls, the the restriction the restrictions of freedoms, political freedoms and and economic freedoms, all of these things contribute to the, the two thousand and ten decline. You know, like mm -hmm. we start, we had protests the whole time he was in power, um, and when Maduro came in, in the picture after Chavez died, you know, he was just a shell of that. He was a puppet, and that's why I was just saying, you know. The people that were around Chavez 
have you know, so it's, it's when you talk about Hitler right so was it Hitler was it Himmler or was it who was it that who, who can you attribute this massive historic uh, event to mm-hmm. um, and that's how I see it you know it's him and everybody else mm-hmm. so with Maduro I don't attribute him and his decisions because I know it was not him I, I knew I know that it's the whole entourage mm-hmm. of same opportunistic people right um but you know that 2014 to be more specific 2014 that's when we had the oil prices crashing and even though we're not an oil producing country that just kind of was the last bit of you know the last drop that needed to like burst this massive dam and and you know wash away the economy and and people and um but you know also a very unsafe country because of all of these things you know underinvestment means there's money in the country like the the flight of capital the brain drain throughout yeah. the 2000s all of these things create the conditions for people to be unhappy to be um in need and a lot of crime the crime rates just what kind of crime spiked what kind know? of crime are we talking are we talking just robberies on the street just casually no, like, or like gangs it got yeah now we are the point we didn't it's not that gangs didn't exist they probably existed like in every city in every country but you saw this emergence of a new type of crime like organized crime that we didn't have these new figures we have a figure called um pran like and that's just a new word a new sort of new type of criminal created under the Chavez uh, what are the characteristics um, well Pran is actually somebody who is sort of a prisons in Venezuela like high security prisons are supposed to be um, you have, they have these towers and the higher up you are in those towers the more s- severe crime you committed so those guys who were at the very top just started you know ruling those the prisons the prisons mm-hmm. and because of sort of there was complacency from Chavez as well to kind of I don't really know you know like they just the country just became so unsafe and these guys created their own sort of security assistance <laughs> and they were the ones ruling the prisons not the national guards Chavez also kind of tried to get rid of everyone in the in the, um, the armed forces that wasn't with him so these are all the conversions of so many factors and so many um, chess pieces that he moved um, but yeah generally I mean if, if you have really poor conditions then crime is just gonna be rife and and yeah we have very organized crime like highly organized crime now um we have more guerrillas we have more armed groups um or any any sort of evil name it like it's in venezuela right now and people but there was also opposition right there was i what was his name starting with g Guaido. Guaido, yeah. So, the, so those yeah. guys, they were 
there was also political fight going on, right? Yeah, I mean, there has been ever since uh, Chavez got into power, and but because again, Chavez was a very successful spokesperson, I think, and the sort of social currency that he was able to earn just from having mass support from all social classes, certainly the working classes. Um, he just could, and he, he, he did something very intelligent. He just ruled by referendum, supposedly to sit because he was like, oh, I'm just going to make this very bottom up. So every decision I should make should be backed by a referendum so people have a vote, have a say. While on paper, that sounds very good. You know, what he was doing was disarming the opposition because if the opposition stood against political will of the people then obviously they weren't they were not going to be very popular um so yeah and also the opposition ha has had its flaws kind of their part because the opposition became these two uh, parties that were the the political class became opposition you know mm -hmm. so it's a very interesting thing where where this one guy comes as an outsider but doesn't even come within any of those two parties creates his own party this other party emerges another party emerges and, and and you know these people get displaced these two big political powers get displaced so they mm -hmm. become opposition but because of past decades of being against each other they just can't agree you know yeah but then you also have the interested individual interests of those the, those leaders, and so fragmented that the opposition has hasn't been really successful. But also Chavez has been, or was, a very good strategist. Right. So in terms of the plight of people, they have been emigrating out of the country. Right. Essentially, a lot of Venezuelans had to move out because of all this turmoil, that the terrible economic situation, the crime, the crime yeah. um, probably no food at some point, I remember, no medicine, I remember the, all those all those things in the media. So what scarcity, was... Scarcity, yeah, we had a massive scarcity because of this, you know, the, the inability of the government, because of the currency control that I mentioned, companies have needed to get approval of the government to actually access uh, dollars at mm -hmm. a preferential rate. Yeah. Because otherwise it will have to do it. And then this created obviously a black market for currency exchange. Um, so it was very difficult for businesses to thrive and actually import things. But again, Chavez underinvestment in industries, there was no national production of almost anything. So what do you have to do? You have to import everything. Yeah. So we became even more, even more of an import country, like completely, you know, de deficit in a trade balance and things like that. So that's what created the scarcity. It's because we don't produce anything and everything got to be imported, but nobody has the dollars to import that, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So what happened with all those people who decided to leave? Well, and this is where like, I get technical because I guess that's what I was interested in studying is the migration waves. Um, that big one that received a lot of media attention recently since you know, 2015, 2016. You can say that that's a migration with the 
you know mixed migration but there was a lot of people there that were more most in need in venezuela people that just didn't have the means to leave venezuela just found tried to find the most desperate way to to leave the country mm-hmm. and that's where you had the big and you, it's still happening today in every day uh, people walking to the colombian border and mm-hmm. you know, we are a massive country like you can fit the whole of the uk in venezuela the whole of the uk not only england um, and people walking from you know caracas to the colombian border that's anywhere from you know 500 kilometers or walk not walking necessarily there but some people would grab would hop on a bus from caracas to like the closest town to colombian border but then walk across from that town to the nearest city in colombia which would be again 200 300 kilometers things like that and those definitely people in need um people from working class background but low low income um and it's just a desperation you know mm-hmm. people don't want to leave and and this is a sort of thing an understanding of migration that a lot of people have is is oh you know they're coming here they don't have they don't they, they, they don't want to you know nobody wants to leave their home nobody wants to be a guest in somewhere someone else's house forever um so yeah desperation so most venezuelans went to colombia yeah in terms of that that sort of latest wave of migration yes what were the other waves well some scholars speak about you know earlier in 2010 for instance which was obviously after the credit crunch and and currency controls and things like this and they say that that was more middle class mm-hmm. people um which you know i think it probably is accurate um and then you have the migration when chavez got to power around the late 90s um but you know these things are also arbitrary so you know if you say oh the wave 1998 but to be honest a lot of people did migrate then because of who chavez was and who they knew who chavez was and it's sad you know you just have to pack your bags and and because his political persecution persecution just started very as soon as he got to power yeah um he booted out the you know 90 percent of staff in venezuela's oil company which is a nationalized oil company ever since 1970 um he just booted them all out because they voted against he didn't they didn't vote for him and they just like this massive witch hunt started ever since he got to power so all of those people migrated so i feel like that's a big massive brain drain that happened then all of this massive oil engineers especially oil industry mm-hmm. migrated to canada migrated to saudi arabia bahrain you know name an oil country and there's going to be a venezuelan engineer there for sure i see what you mean and in terms of what's going on with people who made their way to colombia what's going on with them now because there's so many of them there right yeah well from what I the last numbers I checked which ha- wasn't that recently 
should be above two million that uh, that live in Venezuela in Colombia. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is the highest recipient of Venezuelan migrants and refugees. Um, yeah, Colombia is, and sorry, what was you you were asking about whether it was the biggest one? Yeah, what do they? What's what their they, situation, what's the situation there? Now? Yeah, well. It's uh, so I've worked with small small NGOs there, and and the situation is appalling because really? because people are still crossing, and you see young families with kids, pregnant women. You know, they themselves were saying, you know, earlier, you know, when this all started, it was mainly men, and you would you would just see quite young and fit people that you know they still need care but but now you 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 got certainly in the last few years last two years there's women and pregnant women and old people and and it's just very very sad because just nobody should be forced to do this nobody should be and walking hillsides that are you know next to you know, big, so it was an Andes mountain, so, well, it's towards the Andes, but it's not the actual Andes mountains, um, um, very difficult conditions, you know, steep mountains, steep roads, and people are walking, because not a lot of people can afford, they don't have money, they get to Colombia, and obviously Venezuelan currency is super devalued, like, mm-hmm. we have the highest inflation, we have hyperinflation, we have the our money's worth nothing. So when you get to Colombia, even less so. And also, to get to Colombia, the amount of things that happen to you, you get the guerrilla and Venezuelan side, the armed forces and Venezuelan side trying to get money out of you. Yeah. Um, you get the Colombian side and there's the guerrilla, Colombian guerrilla. And this is obviously if you cross, if you cross through official points, maybe you have less difficulties in terms of crime and violence but at some point those points were closed and there's not many crossing points that are official so people just because of out of desperation they just cross the river and do it through what they call trochas which is just the you know sides river sides they just cross the river literally and and go through the little mountains the little fields and that's that's all controlled by guerrilla in both mm-hmm. on both sides mm-hmm. so they are they just go through so much just to get to another country where they don't even know what's going to happen how am I going to work Colombia's also yeah been very accepting of Venezuelans because Colombian refugees because of the internal armed conflict in, in Colombia for the last 60 years they flew to Venezuela or they've they just escaped to Venezuela. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of recent history and that old history as well that I was talking about. We yeah. are we are kind of sibling countries. Yeah. Um but it's difficult, you know, Colombia has also very difficult socioeconomic position and and an armed conflict that hasn't finished and 
uh, 8 million people that are internally displaced persons, so that's technically like being a refugee, but within your own country, you were displaced by the conflict, all these guerrillas or paramilitaries or armed groups just pushed you out of your home. So it's a horrible, horrible conundrum because there's just no way out. You're like, well, I can't go back to Venezuela because I can't eat there. Yeah. I can't earn money. So what what are those people doing? Are they kind of trying to settle 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 down in in Colombia? Can they work there? Can they access healthcare? Whatever whatever healthcare there is there. It's, What's their like legal status there? It's very difficult. First, it's, it has changed in the last few years, but it's so unregulated, and especially when you they when you don't cross through official points, it's even less so because if you cross through official points, then supposedly you are able to access more. Um, info well information to begin with, but also get given a status and you know Colombia does just does not want to acknowledge Venezuelans as refugees because that attaches international responsibility and what you need to provide them with, and it sort of guarantees that Colombia is just not ready or willing to do because of what I just mentioned. Yeah. Is it not? Is not in the position, but also, it just doesn't seem politically feasible either. Um, so social care, no. It's if you have a regular status and you regularized, then maybe, you can start access. You can start working, which because this has also to do with the sort of health system and how Colombia is organized. Not because Colombia doesn't want to, it's because. To access healthcare, there you have to be either working or paying private, because mm-hmm. you have the yeah the work the one the one that you're working obviously means you're paying taxes, which contributes to healthcare. Yeah. So then you you have a right. So social care is for children, women that are you know pregnant and old people. Yeah. Just humanitarian care, um, but you're not not. You can't just go to you know a doctor and say get checked. Yeah. Okay. Um, I see. There has been some changes where you know like there's been permits implemented and they call it the you know regularization of Venezuelans in Colombia. So they're trying to create new forms of residence cards that allow people to access. More but primarily just access work yeah um, but you have a lot of people that didn't arrive at the right date because all these things are quite arbitrary right it's like oh if you arrive between this month and this month then you're eligible to apply for this permit and this permit is only for a year so okay. what happens after that year um, and these things like that all these conditions that people have to navigate in and they're not aware of because you know it's bad enough that I've already I've, I've had to walk from Caracas to Bogota yeah. to then actually worry about and you know there's big resources international and you know international organizations you have you obviously the UN uh, human uh, the UN uh, high high commissioner for refugees in Colombia but Believe me, the most of the work in heavy lifting is done by local small NGOs. As in every situation, they don't get too involved. The big, the big organizations they don't get too involved. All this money, typical problem that we have is all the money goes on top and management and mm. like, 
people with some jobs and then where does the money actually go to did you it's a uh, very complex complex yeah conditions but yeah they're sense. still still migrating people still walking over yeah so it's it's not getting better at all right in venezuela not really no no and it won't get better until <laughs> until these people are out of power until the situation is it's, it is quite sad and and the most difficult thing about going and working there and i only done it in terms of physical very limited because i just was there for, for a few weeks and after that i just tried to work in colombia for them. or yeah in colombia okay. just work for them from abroad which yeah. has also been difficult especially covid and things i wanted to go back and i couldn't anyway um this sad thing when you're there and this happens to all the staff and all the people that are on the ground is you're helping people and trying to support them and alleviate their current needs but you just can't alleviate their long-term needs it's like yeah. how are they gonna integrate are they gonna you know be fine in, in a year what's gonna be their status um and you know that's a big difficulty in, and th these NGOs like we're trying to change the focus and think of migration not as a humanitarian care only but in terms like with the focus on integration and trying to see the long term and and try to help people uh, in that way rather yeah. than just humanitarian care um, but you know when you're talking to refugees and migrants you don't want to say all these things to them. You don't want to spell out what the uncertain future could be. I'm sure that, you know, they are all thinking about it. But you as somebody who's supporting them, you're in a difficult position where you can't, you need to help them, but you can't worsen their mental health about what they're living through. Yeah. Um, that's why obviously you need mental health professionals but there's often none. I know that the neglection of mental health is a, is a an area of investment as well. The mental health of people who the volunteers and people who work for for these organizations. So yeah, it's a, it's a very 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 yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't expect this conversation to be particularly cheerful. Yeah. <laughs> to be completely honest with you. Yeah. But yeah, it is grim. What are just to just to finish it off? What are some of the kind of like cultural markers for Venezuela? Maybe like some books or some music albums. I don't know. What what would maybe a particular kind of dress? Mm. Um, that's funny because I was um, thinking about this thing yesterday. Because tomorrow I'm I've got um a project I'm supporting for, for well it's not with that Save Latin Village but it's um, it's um, with a net, network of people of Latin American people in London and it's a project called Mi Gente like my people um, and the photographer was saying well can you you know wear whatever you want to wear but if you wanted to wear typical clothes from your country that would be amazing as well and I was looking at so I remember when I was a kid, you would just wear like the uh, costero outfit, like a costero means like a coast person, coast, okay. coast man. Um, 
or like a fisherman. Um, so you have like the white, white shirts, white or like khaki trousers. You have like a red, a red handkerchief that you you tie mm -hmm. around your neck, mm. and you have these sort of espadrilles that people make in Venezuela. Typical shoes. Um, and a big straw hat. <laughs> nice. That sounds mellow. <laughs> that's that's from my. I mean, that's a sort of applies to the whole country, but that's from my state. Like yeah. That's a typical um, dress. Um, books. 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 I mean, that's. Um, it really depends, you know, like what people are interested. But yeah, I mean. Clo yeah. clothing was good I, do, I, I don't we don't need an answer to like an example <laughs> of each one of them it but music music is uh, Oscar de Leon it's a Oscar de Leon is like he's the guy salsero like a big salsa artist one of the biggest or the greatest of all time he's still alive what's his uh, name again Oscar de Leon like Oscar is he still living the apostrophe Leon like, mm -hmm. yeah um yeah i mean amazing music amazing music and yeah salsero the best salsa artist in Ven from venezuela <laughs> nice and among the greatest of all time does he live in venezuela still or does he live elsewhere no i think i don't know uh, uh, he's, he's he's i don't think he would be in venezuela i, I don't think he would be in venezuela fair mm. fair well, let's wrap it up. It's been an hour and fifteen minutes of a wow. good conversation. Wow! Yeah, oh, yeah, the sun is the sun is about to set, so you know, time yeah. to finish. Thanks, yeah. thanks very much for coming to the show. I appreciate it, and thank I appreciate you. you. No, thank you. Thank you very much. Nice. Until the next time. Bye. Bye.